gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, Rachel Melville Thomas, who is a specialist child and adolescent psychotherapist with 30 years of experience in the UK, USA, Switzerland and France. She qualified as an NHS child psychotherapist, so she has extensive experience in child and family psychological services and with CAMS in hospitals, schools and special needs provision, working with a wide range of child and adolescent difficulties anxiety, depression, family and social problems. During several years in Switzerland, she consulted to international schools and worked with parents and children from many cultures. Rachel's an experienced radio broadcaster who is the original host of the popular weekly radio show Kids in Mind on World Radio Switzerland based in Geneva for many years. She is a spokesperson for media comment for the Association of Child Psychotherapists. Having lived the experience of the international parent herself and worked with countless families in transition, Rachel is keenly aware of the family stress involved in moving, changing and reintegrating into different cultures and communities. Rachel is currently working within the Student Support Mental Health Team at Cheltenham College, UK. And she's going to talk about the types of issues that she deals with in a normal day. So thank you very, very much, Rachel, for being with us. Um, it's good to see you. Um, in the Student Support Centre, uh, they can find, the pupils can find help for physical and emotional needs. Mm. So what sort of emotional needs arise? I, I guess homesickness may be one thing, but there'll be others. Um, I think in a school, there are lots of issues that students have that they can find answers to from the house staff from their tutors, matrons, other people who provide a fantastic base support. But I think they come to us when it's a little bit more difficult. It's the anxiety that turns into panic attacks. It's the feeling fed up that really is a bit more like low mood. And often young people get sent to us, they're referred by their, their carers and staff themselves, or in Cheltenham they can come along independently so they can just send an email along and say, can I talk about something? Mm -hmm. But it's generally when it shifts into that difficult state. Yes, okay. So when we were preparing for this, you mentioned that some pupils find it quite difficult to ask for help. Um, is this a cultural issue? It may be compounded by fear that asking for help can cause problems with their parents. How do you deal with this? So true, absolutely. Um, we do notice that for many students, simply, realize, simply admitting that they have a problem that's too big for them is difficult because and I guess that what we're talking about today is how much is that culturally defined mm -hmm. and we could say that within British culture there is um, a certain belief that asking for help is to imply weakness or you can't manage uh, it, it implies there's something wrong with you etc so this is not this is not necessarily something we can um, attribute to countries around the world but certainly happens in the UK but also we do notice that there are some places in the world that, that they, I guess the young people have learned from families, from their, from their parents further, uh, cultural experience, just the schools they might have been growing up in, that it is not good to ask for help. You must soldier on. You must try harder yourself. Um, in fact, I think I did a presentation once saying to ask for help is, is, a, is, is weakness is a myth. When I went to the small group discussions, young people there, and I can distinctly remember some young Chinese students from Hong Kong and from mainland China saying, that's not a myth, that's true. 
<laughs> that actually asking for help shows you're weak. It just shows you have a problem. Which you could say is kind of accurate, but uh, that would be something we would want to them, not to preclude them being able to get help, which then moves them forward. And um, I think uh, you mentioned parents. That is the stigma of asking for help in a mental health area is with some families going to cause difficulties. So they, uh, and again, I have to come back to our own culture here in the UK. There are some families for whom if they do not want their child to be seeking any kind of therapy, counselling, etc., um, I've, I've heard British parents saying she doesn't need a counsellor. What she needs is a holiday or something like that. So, so there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding, sadly, about what actually that entails. Uh, and that's absolutely right that there are some places. Yeah, I suppose it's the um, it's the more self-sufficient, stoical uh, aspects of any culture that are going to have trouble with our student support service. Yeah. Yes. So when they come to you. Um, hopefully some of them it would be very nice if it was just one friendly chat and that was it but i guess that you may find that you have to do a whole term of um, discussion with them about the problems that they're experiencing and how to give them strategies to deal with them yes i i think that's right so there will be some young people who come along and think um, just one chat is going to fix things and then i'll be fine those are usually the only people who didn't choose to come themselves. So it's a housemaster said, go along and have a chat. Um, uh, and they will sort of sit there. And the young person and I will say, I will say to them, this wasn't really your idea to come, was it? And they go, no, not really. And then we can get to a level of honesty where we say, right, what, what is it that would be helpful to you? Uh, and, and how can we do this so that you feel in charge of it? And that's a much better discussion than being sent. You can't, I think my colleagues and I would say, you can't send a young person for therapeutic or mental health help. You, can, you can't. You can. But it doesn't work very well. And then, as you say, it might develop on uh, into longer term work. And I think we would feel as long as a young person can come in, see that you're not criticizing them or you're not seeing them as a weak or helpless person. You're not seeing them as, um, I don't know, somebody who has a big problem. And you just want to meet them as a human being, then I can say, shall we, would you like to come back next week? Maybe we can carry on the conversation. And they say, yes, okay. And that's how we do it. It's one step at a time. Yes. Uh, do the parents actually have to pay for your service or is this something that is within the school provision for their care? Um, our school, like most independent schools, have some system of allowance where you're allowed so many sessions after which sometimes there is a charge so it varies from school to school but um and i would say that that's always a, a sliding scale depending on the needs of the young person so you know we we have if if it was a uh, going to be um, a stumbling block for somebody that wouldn't be an issue that wouldn't be an issue at all also you have to remember that that sometimes young people can email me or my colleague directly and come completely confidentially so nobody actually knows um that you know the parents wouldn't know yeah. that they were coming because they're of an age and certainly that they fulfill the Gillick competence rules. Yes, that's great. Thank you very much. So um, why do international pupils come to see you and do particular cult uh, cultures want to cope so avoid you and other cultures rush to see you? Goodness, I, I, I don't know. I don't think we have culture. I, I, I was imagining, I did actually hear, hear a parent the other day saying that in the United States it's much more normal for people to come along to see a counsellor or a therapist and that's fine. So culturally 
if we had a lot of United States students, I imagine they would think that was much more normal. We don't have any particular international group coming, I don't think. It is, um, I, no, I, couldn't, I couldn't identify any particular group. I would, I would say there is a significant proportion of difficulty from the international community within our school. Uh, and this is in, indeed the subject of this whole summit, isn't it really? It's like welcoming yes. them, settling people in. So you can imagine that actually there is a significant proportion of overall students seen who are from a non-UK culture, put it that way. Yes, well that's uh, very, an insight we need to take on board. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, can you make any comments about the formation of a child's identity um, and what the key influences on this are? Um, I, I can see how um, cultural stereotyping might be a blunt tool, uh, but it might give us clues to understand a pupil. Now then, depends which angle you're coming at. It's very interesting. In the, uh, in the 1960s, there was a lot of interest in, in personality formation and culture. So that we did end up with, as you say, rather blunt tool images of people. Even us, you know, Brits being stiff upper lip, et cetera. So, um, and, and other cultures having blanket stereotypical um, characteristics. And I, it's really moved on since then. So I think it's much more complex. It's much more layered, multi-layered. And um, I, I think a child's identity is formed from my point of view as a therapist working in mental health, first and foremost in the family. I'm absolutely 100% with those very early days with a, with a parent, the caregiver, and what they expect, how they are perceived in the eyes of the mum or dad or granny or whoever is looking after them when they're very small. And, um, and, then, and then later, <clears throat> expectations of the family comes up and then further on would be the actual culture that is how people dress what food they eat what kind of religion they follow what that, that's the third i think of it in concentric circles so in the middle is the mum and the baby uh, or dad, mum and dad and baby and then there's further out is the fam wider family uh, we know that actually unlike <clears throat> unlike a lot of well, some areas of, of British culture do not live in extended families. Some do, but large numbers don't. And then a lot of our international students have much better immediate contact with aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc. So there's, that's the, who, how you're learning from them forms of personality. And then further out again is the, the sort of external practice of your faith or your dress or your food ceremonies or your just the beliefs you have about men and women. All sorts of things can be different. Um, but I would say when I'm sitting in a room doing work with a, with a person, the thing that really strikes me most is the person as they have, as they believe themselves to be within a much more emotional family context. It's like who my dad thinks I should be or whether I'm, you know, whether I'm, my mother thinks I should succeed or not, or am I like my oldest brother who's a genius and has gone to Imperial College, that sort of kind of personal thing for me is, is the key. Yes, that's a, brilliant, thank you. Do you think that um, children integrating into the school uh, or into a British culture should be a goal? Um, if not, how much should a child be encouraged to practice his birth or passport identity? 
golly, there's a few questions there. I, I think that, um, first of all, uh, I would have to have a big discussion with whoever's asking about integration, what you mean by that. Whether you mean uh, fitting in to the culture in this country as it is so that you become, you adopt lots of customs and practices and mindsets yourself, you adopt them, or whether you mean integration as in you remain yourself, but you can live com comfortably with difference. Mm. And I think this is a massive question for us, is how we help our young people, not just our international students, but our own the local students, how do we help them to live with difference? This is a really interesting psychological point because actually difference, and we'll probably, um, you know, we can discuss this again, but the perception of difference and how do you manage being different to other people is a huge sociological question. It's also a huge psychological question because adolescents, they are struggling with how do I fit in with other people and yet remain myself. So this is really interesting, isn't it? It's got ramifications for your international students' cultures, but it's also got ramifications for simple adolescent development. Well, it how happened in my school when I was a teenager. We had a terribly cold winter and um, we were able to wear jeans. So I think that the headmistress probably didn't know very much about jeans in those days. So next term, people came back with bell bottoms, and drain pipes and bootlegs and uh, patches and slits and whatever. So everybody wanted jeans, but they wanted to have different jeans. So uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's a really yeah. good example of yeah. being, fulfilling the brief, integrating, yeah. but staying yourself. So, uh, and also, I just want to make a comment, you, you said something about passport identity. For some of our young children, and I hope part of the summit is going to be discussing third culture kids, your passport identity has very little to do with who you feel you are, yes. right? Very little. So your passport might say you are American or you are Korean, but actually you spent most of your life in Finland or Norway. I mean, I can think of some really interesting mixture families I've met. And you just think, well, my passport says that, but I don't feel that. I feel something else. And that's one of the things we have to help young people to do is to, for them to say who they feel they are. Yes. Who, where do they feel they belong and um, how they define themselves. For third country kids, sometimes where they belong, oh, sorry, where they're from is irrelevant. Yes. Absolutely not an issue. But they want to know, here I am now, aged 14 or 17 and this is what I want you to know about me that's the key that's the key mm. so um what sort of problems come up routinely mm. do you think alienation from their peer group or yes I, I think we have to face that one is that well actually what comes up really routinely is um over the spread of a secondary school life is um, anxiety about performance or anxiety about the pressure which we, we all live in whatever culture you're from that actually our young people have to do not just well but super well in exams mm. but we are in a very difficult time and i'm sure you will know this uh, you know, you're talking about your school experience it was not always like this mm. it was not always the way that everyone had to have a and A stars or nines or whatever you want, but people did as best as best they could, mm. and that because we now I'm saying that a common difficulty uh, with anxiety is that I didn't just get 
I didn't get an A star, I got an A. Or if I got an A star, how high was it? What was the actual mark? So, you know, we, we can have some young people with extreme um, success or failure um, measurements of themselves, which are misplaced, I think, totally misplaced. So commonly, I've got to do well, I've got to do well is a real common presentation. And then, as you said, you, you talked about socialization. I say another common one is being alienated initially, perhaps because of language. If you come from an Asian country, uh, from Malaysia or Korea or Thailand or Hong Kong Chinese or mainland Chinese, that, it, that you may, your English may be good, but it's maybe not quite picking up the, the, the teasing, the banter, the jokes. You're missing something slightly and that can make you feel alienated. Then we have a problem, and I'd, I'd be really interested to discuss with other schools whether this is the issue. But if you're, say, somebody who speaks um, Cantonese and you're in a British school and it's just tricky to fit in with people, then you find someone else who speaks Cantonese, you speak Cantonese to them. And it's great because you talk to each other. But then other non Cantonese speaking students who could be anything from any, it's not just local British or anything, anywhere in the world can then say, look at them, they're isolating themselves because they're speaking Cantonese. And I, I would, I don't know exactly, but I would love to ask other schools, what do you, um, what rules do you have about languages? And you know, some people say everyone has to speak English, but then you're taking away a support system from young people. So, that alienation is correct. It is, and it, I think there's a language element there. And I think also um, family, it, it, back to the high pressure, it's a sort of family expectations of, you know, you've gone there and you, you will do exceptionally well. Mm. Or you've gone there because it's this lovely, dreamy, it's Hogwarts, mm. which it is not. I don't know any of us out there where our schools might look a bit like it, but they're not. You don't, you know, there's lots of realities. And, and in the end, our job is, and us in student support are part of the, the team of the pastoral care and also the, the housemasters, mistresses, matrons, everybody. The job is, and the teachers, is to help a young person learn things and learn about themselves and grow up into a really interesting, curious, strong young person who knows what they want. Yes. So, and uh, hopefully we'll actually have an amazing global outlook and be a tremendous yeah. asset in the, in the world community. Yes. 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 Um, how should we communicate with international parents? Uh, I certainly, uh, I had a little time in Uganda and um, everything was a bit dodgy with the telephones at the time. It was 1989. Um, so when we got through, we may find ourselves cut off or whatever. Now, of course, we have incredible social media, email, anything you can speak to each other with a click. Um, what, do you, what do you recommend and how do you communicate with them? Because I, I imagine you have to tell parents if the children come to, uh, come to see you. Well, as I said earlier, no, not always. Uh, if they're old enough, we don't at all to, to come see us. But communicating with parents on a broader level is absolutely fundamental. And I'm very pleased that we've been able to do that over the last few years, more and more um, in the college so that we uh, actually make a point of meeting them at the in induction level. So we actually can, can explain some of the philosophy, the idea that um, 
nobody's going to get it right all the time, that there are going to be ups and downs, and that when you have downs, getting help is a great idea. So that's number one. Number two is something like um, you being really sad and worried about your child and having to get on a plane and fly thousands of miles away is normal, and we'll help you with that too. So so that because there's that you remember i talked about stoicism that sort of like mm. you come and it's great and you'll have a lovely time and we'll walk away and when you talk to parents international parents about the fact that they might cry a bit they look so relieved they look so relieved because you're actually saying something honest and truthful that mm. they are quite worried they're going to miss them they are you know hoping all sorts of things and that's a really painful emotional time for them and so we you know speaking to them on that level is really important and i go out and try and meet people and talk to them a little bit um oh just to show a face saying if your son gets stuck you might come talk to me or to my colleague here we are here's our faces so that you'll know who we are that's lovely thank you would you make some comments on children at different ages or stages? Yes, that's really important. Obviously, when a child first arrives in the school, let's say at third form, they're only 13, and terribly young really to go far away from your home and, and live somewhere else with a bunch of other people. You may be the only child in your family. It's quite hard getting used to it. So, so that first kind of, um, at third form, obviously you've got to help young people at that point and really make sure that they, they know this philosophy of it's okay to ask for help, it's okay to be a bit homesick. Homesickness um, is about missing. Missing your parents means you love them. So missing is uh, it's just you being showing that you love them. And if they miss you, it's the same thing. So it's actually not something to be swallowed down and, and distracted from and you need to go away and, and do lots of sport or try and forget about it. Talk to some, you know, tell your, tell your house mistress what you miss about your mum. Tell them about your dog you've left behind. Tell them about, you know, what, what, what the food, tell them that the food is rubbish. It's fine. It's really fine. So we're actually going to have a really, uh, again, sort of really normalise these things. And so that, that third form experience can be very difficult. However, mentioning the idealisation and, the, and the, the fantasy about exciting UK schools that can actually tide you over for quite a long time. So you might find that the excitement and the buying into this exciting picture will, will mentally keep you going. Mm -hmm. Then you go home, then you come back in the fourth form, and then you start again and you think, ah, oh, this really isn't, this isn't really as dreamy as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Or prep seems to be a bit pressurising, or the person you thought was your friend isn't, or something. And then, so, so I would just say, uh, a developmental or, or a um, point of paying attention is after that first um, uh, the, the sort of excitement or the, the, the thrill a little bit that's, that's, our, um, that's the first thing second developmental stage of course it's not we foisted it on them really is, is exams is as soon as you start facing the big tests so um, when you start looking at GCSEs okay or if you come in in the sixth form when you actually suddenly think oh my goodness I'm going to do A levels and that's also going to be another pressure point. I, I would say there's a big pressure point in lower six so if you've been somewhere else in the world and you decided to come and do sixth form in the UK you know you are practically you are really in that identity forming time personality your identity who am I mm -hmm. 
and you come in and other people know each other and they've already got friendships and you are from outside somewhere maybe a different culture maybe a different language that is hard that is very tough um, and also just from a psychological point of view sometimes in that uh, that time when you're a teenager forming who am I that's when all the conflicts with mum and dad come up or brothers or sisters or you just think well my parents always wanted me to do law but I don't want to I want to do art or something right so so that w when we see those conflicts coming up then they might pop over to see us and try and work it all out and we give them some time to think it through make connections and links and really in a, in a non-frightening way have time to to work it out for themselves and uh, with our help and that's what we aim to do yes can you describe the space where you're working oh yes we have well gosh we're very fortunate it wasn't always like this but we we have um two rooms which have got um some sofas uh and uh, a sort of coffee table type thing on which i want to make this point we have lots of fiddling things this is really interesting so that even if you're a very sophisticated 17 year old boy it's quite hard sometimes to just talk about your feelings so we have all kinds of little you know puzzles and many things and mini slinkies and those you know desk toys <laughs> which people will come and fiddle with and talk while they're fiddling and and that's a really it, it sounds silly but it really helps and the other thing, because it's a, a across the school specialist therapy room, we also have uh, some cubby, um, cubbies and they've got toys inside them. And there's a doll's house and there's some sort of very, very nice sort of small like little robots or there's a, um, little cars laid out around. And on the windowsill, I have a, a number of um, plasticine things, mostly I'd say Pokemon figures which everybody from the age of nine through to about 17 has had a go at making at some point. I don't ask them to, they'll say, oh, can I do that? And I'm going, yeah, sure. So, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because when you're talking to someone who's 15, 16, and they're very cool, or they're 17, 18, and practically an adult, actually there's a bit of them that's quite young and quite small and needing a bit of help. And there's a sort of, almost the little child inside of them. And sometimes I think it's quite helpful for them to see evidence mm. that we do listen to every age group. It's not just very serious chatting, but it's everybody. We have a sort of nice specially made sand tray thing in the corner there. And actually I've done some very powerful, just work with somebody who was from, let's think now, uh, Thailand, I think, who was not good at talking at all and would just come and lay out things in the sand tray and talk about them. So sometimes we have to say there was children and adolescents, it may not just be talking, it may be doing or drawing, little ones obviously it's drawing and pictures and things like that, but it's not just talking and uh, so the room I work in, hopefully, and that my colleague and I work in, has all of those possibilities there in quite and parents like it too they come in and they go oh this is a nice room um hopefully it doesn't have any of the um um the suggestion that there's any marking or there's any academics nothing that, that there's no there's nothing to say that somebody is um going to assess you or evaluate you or anything like that it's just nice hopefully comfy it's away from college away from school that you can come and have a chat which they do 
Well, I think that's covered all our planned questions. Is there anything that you wish I had asked and <laughs> would like to add? Uh, any particular success or uh, um, other insight? I think we have had discussions before about a difficult subject, which I think all schools have to face uh, okay. in the UK, and that's racism. Mm. Um, and I think uh, and, and earlier on you asked me, you know, what, what problems do people come along with? And we talked about alienation, about difficulties so fitting in socially. But sometimes some of that is absolutely straight down racism. So I'd want to say something about how brave we need. We need to be very brave, look at it straight square on and say, yes, this happens. Mm. Why does it happen? And I think, look, you know, if I was going to try and explain it from a sort of psychological point of view it's about how we perceive difference and how frightening difference can be mm. so you imagine you've grown up in one culture in the uk where everybody's the same ethnicity everybody has the same roughly the same goals the same habits that's very comforting if you go um and, and then you travel let's say you, you go off on your gap year or something and you go to a country where people don't do that at all and momentarily, it can be both exciting and also a little bit troubling because you may not understand the language. You didn't know what that person meant. You didn't really like that food. So that, that's difference. Now, when that difference becomes the reason for uh, persistent views of, and judgments about other people, we've got a problem. And so if you imagine back in the home team, uh, we have a number of let's say local students it could be any ethnicity it doesn't really matter it just means that they're used to the british culture way of life and then other cultures come in the first and you're feeling a bit worried or nervous well you might look at the other people and think i don't like that that's that's rather anxiety provoking i don't know what to say to them so i will say something funny which turns out to be rude so it and, and it, it's what human beings do to, to protect themselves when they're anxious is they will um, attack difference, mm -hmm. right? And I think so. Working on that, what we need to do is look at the local students, which maybe they could be any, as I said, any ethnic group you like from the UK, and ask them what makes them feel good and comfy and safe, and what is it they found find difficult or maybe even sort of hard to countenance about difference. What is it, what's the tricky part? Okay, and you'll probably find answers like, well, I don't know what to say to them, or they're very, they're a bit quiet, or I don't like, or they'll go back to those stereotypes, like, you know, everybody from Russia is like this, or everybody from Thailand is like this. And we have to really look at it. And I think one of the problems, I'd say, just looking at, from looking at quite a few years now, mental health observation, of culture differences what we have to do is under, is is help the home team that you like and the locals to to have a good old think about um difference and what is it that makes them a bit anxious and i'm saying this having lived in many different parts of the world so i'm not just talking about the uk i'm talking about the united states talking about switzerland where you where where they perceive difference as threatening very primitive it really goes back to very early part of human development where they're looking at the tribe that's coming over from that side of the valley 
are different. So we are frightened of them. So we attack them. That's it's a it's a kind of part of the brain that's that's um fight flight if you like. It's a, you know it's not using this bit which is rational and thinking oh there's an interesting difference let's talk about it or oh, you tell me. Mm-hmm. So I, I that's what I would plead for is more discussion not so much educating but that's part of it but more discussion and and thinking about differences and getting at uh, getting the young people who are in who are the majority of the school to be curious to be curious and interested and welcoming because yes. i'm not always sure they are that's all i would say yes it would be terrific fantastic thank you um and one thing that's just come up in my own mind was um i guess that it must be quite difficult to have something like uh, chinese new year or ramadan and yeah. how the school uh, accommodates that type of thing or whether they actually say to the parents are very sorry actually you can't accommodate that sort of thing uh, in this school um what's um, would you be able to offer any thoughts on that I can't entirely on my own school. I think we're fairly good about respecting people's mm. um, different cultural, not just the cultural seasons, if you like, but also cultural events that might affect. You know, because we're now with instant knowledge, we all know immediately whether that country has had um, a difficult political or geographical mm. time. We know that. Yes. So I think we're pretty respectful of that, actually. Yes. I think in our school we have a pretty good um, opportunity for young people to talk openly, whether that's to their year group or in the chapel environment or something, about what their those seasonal observances mean to them. So mm. I'm hoping that is part of the encouraging curio- curiosity about other people's yes. ways of life. Yes, Rachel, that has been most interesting and I'm very grateful that you're able to be with us for the chat. So uh, thank you very much. We'll finish there and uh, we'll start the chat in a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Felicity.